Yes, we're scrapping lovely people. Welcome to the Big Feed Up HQ podcast. Episode 173, I believe. Maybe 174. Who cares? I'm your host, Matt Gardner, a nutritional therapist specialising in sports nutrition and health span. I also work in digital healthcare as a health coach for pre-diabetics and type 2 diabetics. I'm a food fanatic and I love a bit of outdoor fizz. So if you like the show, please share it with someone. Ultimately, it's the only way the show will grow. You can subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Do me a solid and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It would help me greatly spread the show and the link is in the show notes. 33 Fuel and I have been working together since the beginning of the pod to bring you the show and they produce natural and powerful sports nutrition products. Use MAT10 at checkout for 10% off your first order. I completed an ultramarathon a couple of days ago. I used two of their chia seed energy gels. I used uh, two servings of their natural energy drink, pineapple flavour, delicious, works really well for me. Throughout the winter, I usually use a tablespoon of their greens powder. So have a look. Uh, brilliant people over there at that business. Warren and Erica founded it. A chap called James works on there too, social media and marketing and things. So reach out to them on social media or ask me questions um, or just go online and use the discount code. It's absolutely brilliant. So today I have a chap, a young practitioner called Adam Sutton on the show. So Adam studied sports and exercise sciences at the University of Birmingham and graduated in 2020. And after this, he completed a master's in sports and exercise nutrition at Coventry University. And following that, he registered with the uh, with Senna, basically. So that's the sports and exercise nutrition register. So he's a graduate registrant, same as myself. Throughout the Masters, he completed placements, uh, providing nutritional support to some of the university's sports scholar athletes um, and also an amateur cyclist based in Oxfordshire. He's continued to work with one of the sports scholars, um, a taekwondo athlete, after leaving Coventry. And she has recently won the British Championships. Really excited to talk to Adam about that. Um, since finishing education, though, he's found it difficult to find employment opportunities due to an extremely competitive nature of the industry. He's been exploring uh, roles in both practical applications, so obviously performance nutritionist roles, um, and also returning to academics to study uh, towards a PhD. So really brilliant that he's being honest about how things are going at the moment. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to get him on the show uh, to talk candidly about the sports nutrition industry and you know, graduating uh, with a new qualification and trying to get into the industry. So at present, he's taken up a part-time job um, and also volunteers at a uh, local rugby club providing nutritional support. So he's still searching for some experience, employment opportunities in the field. I can't wait to have a conversation with him. So let's get into the show. Adam, mate, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, man. It's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome, mate. And obviously, to give a bit of a context to the listeners, we've been back and forth for quite a while on Instagram, haven't we? Talking. Yeah, about a year. So it's um yeah it's brilliant to obviously catch up and selfishly it allows me to learn a bit more about you but I think obviously your story so far um it's interesting you know not only from how passionate you are about the industry sports nutrition um I know you you probably are, are quite humble about your running but obviously in terms of you know the the athletic prowess side of things too I want to get into that but yeah maybe just give give people a little bit of background to yourself you know how are you doing at the moment like where are you and and then maybe we can get into some of the things you've been doing yeah uh, so i'm uh 
have completed in the past an undergraduate degree in sport and exercise science. I did that at the University of Birmingham. Then went on to do a master's in sports and exercise nutrition. Did that at Coventry University. And then right now I'm just sort of back home living with living with the family um, in Wiltshire, um, southwest. And we're just um, just sort of on that sort of grind of trying to find the next steps really in um, in my career progression. Sort of what I found. Um, from the sort of four months I've been out of academics now, I really sort of like that environment. So one of the things I'm looking at back going to do is um, going back to that and sort of looking at PhD study. But then I've also um, don't want to drop sort of like the practical application side. So that's something I'm sort of quite keen to keep keen to keep along the side, as you say. And uh, yeah, just sort of on the grind of sort of going through application processes and interviews and stuff like that. And so it's a sort of a never-ending grind, really. Mm. And where did it all start? So when you got into sports and exercise science, did you jump into a module and think, oh, wow, this is something that I'm really interested in? Or did you grow up as quite, you know, quite into food or, or you know, having experiences, eating well and performing well? Like, How did it all start for you, mate? Well, I think starting off how I chose to go into undergrad, it sort of, um, was sort of like a clear, I was always really sporty growing up, sort of... Um, just sort of loved every, every sort of aspect of side of sport, wasn't good enough at any particular sport to explore that as a professional athlete. So just sort of thought was the sort of thing that interests me most and sort of science and um, sort of understanding stuff. Really, I really like the process of understanding why things happen. So decided to do the sport and exercise science. And then from that, it sort of like really got into the modules that sort of covered metabolism, uh, physiology, biochemistry, and then sort of nutrition as well, sort of followed on from that. And I've always sort of been a bit of a foodie and uh, enjoy, always enjoyed cooking growing up as well. So that was sort of like a natural progression onto the sport and exercise science and uh, sort of just taking it from there, really. Mm. And uh, and over time, have you found, obviously, as you've learnt more, dug into the literature a bit, and then you've obviously got interest, there'll be certain areas maybe that we could tease out around fueling or recovery or supplementation. Have you, have you found it... Um, not easier but being able to step back now you've done some years of study you've, you've actually worked with people and you've realized there's some barriers and challenges and um you know you have to kind of pull out the right tools um in your toolbox for us for a certain situation because i know when i went into it undergrad i just thought right it's cut and dry these these people eventually that i'm going to work with they're just going to follow what i say um so how did you find that first interaction where you you obviously came out of the lecture theatres and things and your books and then you you had to work with some of these scholar athletes and things. What were those kind of conversations like? Did you hit any any kind of walls or anything like that? And you had to step back and think, wow, actually, I need to rethink this. Yeah, definitely. So you very sort of coming out of lectures and stuff like that. You said you're very naive to how easy it is going to be to translate what you just learned into practice, and you sort of just think. Oh, it's going to be simple. I just told you X, Y, Z, and go ahead for it. But then it's just sort of it, none of it sort of works like that in actual practice. It's all you've got to tailor it to one an individual, and then two sort of certain situations. So, like just using an example of purely fueling, like you mentioned, you could go and um, tell a runner that they need to eat this X, Y, Z before they go out for this run. At nine, eighty, ninety percent of runners feel like they can't eat within three, two to three hours before going for a run. So that sort of short-term fueling goes out the window. So you've really got to sort of rethink different strategies and then sort of how are you going to combat that really? So it's um, that's just one example of just, it's not always as simple as you sort of, sort of first think. 
Mm, mm. And it'd be interesting because you know you've you've obviously studied a bit more recently um, than me, and and you're slightly newer to the industry. And obviously, I think these these conversations with athletes are kind of call them like coffee corners or you know corridor conversations and things. They're always going to be important. But I found this huge shift as well. With, but um, moving towards you know these infographics and things on Instagram, these kind of one one pages, you know us as practitioners almost becoming like digital designers and things like that as well so how how have you found that and was that integrated at all into your into your studies or is that something that I don't know more people have started to pick up once they've graduated because I see it from young practitioners more and more like how how is that the translating the information as 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 it stands to athletes I think's changed even over 10 years since I was an undergrad Mm, no definitely like in our in our um, in the master's degree, we were taught very sort of solidly to just um, display things as those sort of one pages and infographics and sort of looking at how you can display things like that. So I even one assignment sort of where we got given a little task in the lecture, I made a TikTok on it um, <laughs> just because that's the way, that's the sort of way that things are things are going. And um, if if you can get your information across in either an Instagram post, a little poster, or something like that. And then an athlete can read it in sort of 30, 30 seconds to a minute. That saved you sort of that you can be much more efficient with your time because then you don't have to sit. Even though those conversations are great, you can just be a lot more sort of efficient with your time. You're not sort of putting aside 30 minutes to display it, to convey a point. You're If you're explaining a um, simple process or an idea to someone, you can display that on the media. And then those 30 minute conversations can be more personalized talking about how just sort of how your uh, client is as an individual, really. So half the conversations that I did with my athletes um, when I was working in uh, placement opportunities and postgraduate was, it was literally, I was just a sounding board, really, for their, um, mm. either their troubles, their thoughts and stuff like that, because I'd already given them the information in sort of, in those forms, really. Yeah, exactly. So that, that level of what they can pick it up and put it down, like you said, they could look at it on, it on Instagram or, you know, a lot of the universities I, I actually follow, you know, some of their sports science or sports nutrition pages because they're putting up such good content. And then, like you said, you can dig into the the why. I think, I, I don't know if you caught like a most recent podcast, was, um, James Morahan, I think, was on a show chat called Dr. Bubs and he talked about this like three levels of why I really like it. So, you know, why am I taking something? Why is it important? Um, and, you know, why or how will it help me? So those yeah. are the things that I'm hearing you're then having a conversation about and then the what they're in these really nicely packaged up yeah. pages. And I think it's brilliant. You know, it's something that doesn't come natural to me to design those things, but it's great that, you know, master's programs and things are, are kind of getting you guys to think about it. And then you have to kind of put your own style across. Like what's your favorite way of doing that? Are you, you know, do you like creating those things or would you prefer content like this, you know, audio based to send out, you know, in the future, how do you feel like you're going to get your messages across? On a personal front, I love a podcast. I've always sort of got a couple of those or listen to every week. But I think, I think going forward in sort of how I would work, I love stuff like it. I think Instagram is really good, um, such as in like sort of put up to ten photos, little photos together um, on a post, or go through like a gradual phase of progression. And, uh, that's something that someone's always got access to as well. So I think that's going to be sort of how I would operate in the future. Sort of a big social media sort of front. Um, just like I say, it's accessible and how many, what percentage of people now have a social media? So it's such a, 
there's an easily accessible source for sort of everyone. And um, just think, um, I had to sort of really think about how I was designing it. It didn't come, like the design front and stuff like that doesn't come ridiculously natural to me. So I sort of had to work on it. And it's sort of, it's a gradual progression of practice, really, like everything. And um, sort of just gradually see, um, see an improvement in the quality I was producing, really. So I think going forward, that would be the way to do it. Yeah, 100%. I remember when I first started using the platform a bit more um, and I, I would just get the, the people um, I, I'd be working with, clients and things like that, and some some athletes and, you know, nine to five athletes and people that were kind of working for a living. They'd just actually create a, um, a profile, you know, they wouldn't follow anyone and, 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 and I'd either get the login details or maybe they'd just follow me. Um, and, you know, they just post things on there. So I remember early days of me logging into that and looking through like 30 photos and loads of descriptions. And I'm thinking, God, how do I streamline this? But it actually it did work really, really well at times. And then to be honest now, because like you were saying there, um, as as practitioners, the the why side of things, the support, um, once they have the what, it seems to be so much more important. I, I will tag, you know, practitioners like yourselves and others that that we probably know um, and we follow in common, I'll actually tag people I'm working with in their posts because I know they're creating content that's visually going to be way better than than what I would produce or have the time to do or, you know, the inkling. So you just send them that way. You know, there's no ego. You know, they're putting good things together and they're sharing it for free anyway. So everyone's kind of working together and, you know, maybe I'll produce something in a podcast. Someone will share one time. So exactly. it is the good it's thing about the industry. Yeah, it's definitely got that good sort of like environment. Everyone wants to help each other and um, sort of platforms like that are great at doing that. And it's uh, definitely the way things are going. So being more collaborative rather than sort of standoffish. Mm, mm, mm. So, mate, if we flip, so that's a bit of the performance nutrition side. And we've heard a bit about how you work with people. Um, and I know you're kind of you're in this period where you're thinking, you know, which route can I go down? You're constantly looking for opportunities. But you know, say if you had the opportunity to to go back into research and study, I don't know if we've actually addressed, you know, when someone moves into that environment of doing a PhD, I know obviously you're not there yet, but you're thinking about it. Um, ideally, you know, what, what would you be looking for out of that experience? Do you kind of have a research topic in mind and maybe talk the listeners through that process a little bit? I think that'd be quite, quite interesting for people to hear. Well, so there's sort of two avenues that mainly you can go into a PhD. You can either... A pro, there's either going to be a funding opportunity that you need to propose an idea and a research project uh, to do and then go through the application process for that. Um, but then the more common route is a university will advertise a sort of research post, a re- specific research question. Um, it's already got the funding and everything set in place for you. And then you specifically apply for that project as if it were, like, effectively like it's a job, um, which, so, like I said, that's the most the most common route, which is the way I'm sort of tending to get a look at my applications at the moment. Um, so, but in terms of sort of which sort of projects I'm looking for, I'm sort of looking very much nutrition, uh, physical activity and health, um, and then potentially like looking at interaction between exercise and nutrition as well. So um, a couple of stuff I've been looking at is uh, specifically exercise oncology. So looking at cancer patients with exercise interventions and um, nutrition. So uh, a couple of opportunities coming up in that. And then also looking at some nutrition uh, side of it, so um, just sort of like different nutrition interventions, really, and um, sort of analysing effects on that. Um, so that's the route I'm sort of looking. I'm not sort of narrowing myself down to one sort of specific research. I'm sort of open to quite a lot of areas, and I think that's 
going to sort of benefit me in the long run. Um, the reason I mainly want to sort of go back to is because I love that the environment of constantly being able to sort of either enhance your knowledge or sort of just learn, sort of just learning really and just sort of always sort of progressing. Uh, I feel it's like a really sort of structured and uh, progressive career path. Um, and I'd love to sort of in the future sort of tag along sort of lecturing and sort of practical application. I can really see myself sort of doing that. Um, just, uh, yeah, like I said, just think that's sort of the career path for me, really, because I don't want to sort of just do one in isolation. Um, mm. I want to sort of try and combine. You see, it's the way that the industry is going, a lot of the industry is going. If you look at sort of um, James Morton and Graham Close, they sort of, lecture, um, sort of have a really strong academic side at the university, and then they're sort of doing their practical application work as well. And I think that's sort of, it creates one a well, well-rounded lecturer and then also creates a well-rounded practitioner because they're sort of open to lots of different areas of the industry. Yeah, 100%. And it's obviously hard work to get there. But like you said, it can be done. There's some incredible figureheads in the industry. And often now, um, reaching out to these individuals, they, they will give you time and, and support. And like you said, if there's certain areas that you'd love to um, speak to people about and inspire people on and, and keep up to the cutting edge of research and, and deliver that information to students, then that's brilliant. And then, you know, if, if there's opportunities in, in your favourite sports or might not be your favourite, but you end up working in some of these. And like you said, you can do a day or two or half a day at some of these clubs yeah. because you have to, I think, keep razor sharp. If you are delivering, you know, sports and exercise science, exercise metabolism modules, sports nutrition modules, and then you're not necessarily in the field all the time. Things are things are changing um, dramatically. Like I mentioned earlier about how, sort of, as a student, I came came out quite naive and things been easy to um, easy to translate what you learn into practice. If a lecturer is not constantly practicing as well, that gap is just going to grow even bigger, and all of a sudden you're going to have a massive disparity between what is actually doable in the field and then what you're learning. So it's really important. I think. Mm, mm, mm. I did find that ten like I really enjoyed my immunology lectures um and and going into the weeds around some 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 of those things but then I think I found coming out you know how how I just couldn't really apply any of that there was so much detail and so much information about nutrition and immunity and then when it came down to speaking to athletes through the winter you know you have to have to have that simple approach and I was like wow you know that lecturer at the time fantastic you know very smart cerebral bloke but clearly hadn't been in the field for a while to be able to talk to people about the fundamentals of right you know how do we think about antioxidants vitamin d testing all these things and you just get bogged down in all these yeah. pathways and reactions and things like that and you're learning all this stuff and there was so much of that that i really haven't you know utilized moving forward so there's there are still some areas that you know people can get stuck in and courses and things need to need to catch up but for the master's program you've done and there's obviously some of these postgraduate courses as well in nutrition and things like that they are so much more practical now and if you can Definitely, do placements yeah. and things it you know it is brilliant isn't it yeah and i really like we uh, in the first term of the master's degree we've got a massive page of different sort of placement opportunities you could do because one of them you had to sort of, you had to do a placement as one of the modules so it's it's definitely gearing you in that direction but it's not sort of forgetting about the practical application it's we're going to do the two in tandem to sort of really sort of create a well-rounded practitioner I think that's the way things are, the degrees are going. So, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's so competitive. And then there's opportunity then people might go down um, more of the health psychology and and behavior change routes. I've certainly found 
Um, well, I studied for most of my 20s. I did obviously do some other stuff people will know in terms of nutritional therapy and some health coaching work. But I found things like motivational interviewing technique and then, you know, constantly reading about how to speak to people about behavior change and things like that. Once you, you know, I'm always learning and you're always growing your nutrition toolbox and doing your CPD. But then there's certain times where you think, actually, how, how am I then going to support people from that behavior change side? And some of that takes over for a little while. But I think it's brilliant. You know, we're both wanting to constantly progress our knowledge base. Um, you may be going more back, you know, back into the research, but then we need people to to do that, to then inform practice. And especially yeah. with nutrition and, and exercise for things like cancer and, and stuff like that, too. That, that, that sounds like would be an incredible, rewarding area, mate. So Yeah, definitely. It's very interesting, very interesting. So, yeah, I think, well, selfishly, because I, I like to go out for, a, you know, a bimble and a bit of a run. Um, and I try and do one a year. And there's a few podcasts and things on some of my ultra marathons that people can listen to. But, um, mate, you recently completed a, you know, a bit, bit of a serious bimble and hit a bit of a PB. So um, if, if you're up for it, um, you know, not toot your horn too much. But, yeah, talk, talk us through that process because it's brilliant. It, obviously, it's a bit of an N equals one. You know what works for you, but you had a cracking result. So maybe just explain a bit of that from a performance side. Yeah, so well, where do you want me to start? Like sort of how I got into running or just... Yeah, that's yeah, that sounds yeah. good. It's always inspiring, you know, getting people moving and part of the shows about activity and stuff. So I think that that would be awesome. Yeah. Oh, I could talk for hours on this. <laughs> Good. So where do we start? Um, well, so like, oh, I played main sport as I was growing up. Sort of, uh, badminton, I played badminton, sort of county standard. Um, and then just to sort of keep fit, I started running along the side. Um, gradually started progressing more in my running, sort of, sort of levelling out with my badminton ability. And then I naturally started enjoying the running more. So, and uh, middle of 2019, decided to give up badminton, just concentrate on running. Um, just ran sort of a half marathon that year and then the lockdown uh, lockdown at the beginning of 2020 hit and I sort of found that I was able to sort of really concentrate on running sort of build solid sort of a solid training regime um, and I'd entered at that point I'd already entered Brighton the Brighton marathon as well um, that original, original date was at um, April 2020 that got cancelled moved into September 2020 so I was training for that and then that got cancelled so what I did was that got then postponed to the following April, but I still decided to run that virtually because that was going to be my first marathon. Mm. Uh, so I sort of just ran that in the streets, going off my GPS watch, um, and then carried on training, just running, sort of building up sort of solid, solid training weeks. And then this year, um, ran the Brighton Marathon from April 2021, got postponed again to September 2021. So I ran that and I sort of set myself this goal of, um, breaking three hours and it was all I could think about really from sort of the first um, Brighton Marathon getting thrown was just always had this sub three goal in my mind um, I was really what and then um, just carried on running for that I'm sort of going around in circles here but carried on going, That's right. going for that and um, what happened then ran that in September and it just didn't quite go to plan a couple of things just didn't go my way I felt like I had the fitness for it mm. but just wasn't quite there on the day um so i was then driving in the car on the way back just said to my parents now i've got the fitness i'm going to see what see what uh, other marathons are available so saw that in six weeks time there's a newport marathon going so entered that that week and um yeah managed to break the three hours for that one so it was a 
long old process, but it's all just incredibly rewarding. And uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a journey, really. Wow. Wow. So, you know, what we're hearing is obviously you, you did that first one and experienced it and then you had that performance in the locker. And then was it what did you need to tweak? Um, was it, you know, was it the mental side or was it something to do with uh, fueling? Or do you think actually, you know, on another day now I've had the experience of what the final third of the race feels like I can push through? Like, can you put your finger on it? It's not always easy. Yeah, there's, I think there's sort of a combination of elements, really. So it's so, all three different things I would sort of say I sort of mentally wasn't prepared for what an actually because the one I ran the previous year was just on my own like I said bending around the street yeah. um so, so I wasn't prepared for what a big event was going to feel like so that was one factor um I had a bit of uh gastro gastro issues wasn't feeling massively comfortable um and then also I'm not sort of blaming blaming this but it's sort of a contributing factor um don't know if you saw in the news but the the course was actually measured slightly to 500, 500 meters too long. Oh, really? Which meant, yeah, so the um, the 10 mile marker was um, nearly half, a, like close to half a mile further on than it should have been. Oh, so right. you saw everyone's watch was beeping. I was thinking, yeah, I'm on really good pace. Got to sort of that 10 miles and then 10 to the half marathon point. I was thinking, hang about, we're not, I'm not on pace here. So I had to then kick it up. I sort of increased the pace and I sort of just ran sort of for five. Mile, between miles 30 and 18, I ran sort of 20 seconds per mile quicker than I needed to, which cumulatively, cumulatively massive. Um, and that just, then at mile 20, had some really sort of bad gastro gastro issues. So, like, it could have been a contributing factor. I'm not blaming that, but yeah, you know, just sort of every, everything added up to just sort of not quite going my way, really. Wow. And I think what really sort of set me up mentally for then Newport, on the back of the Finit Marathon, the Brighton Marathon's T-shirt said um, the comeback. The comeback is always greater than the, the setback, or some, something along those lines. Yeah, and that just sort of really inspired me to. No, I've got. I'm, I can do this, and uh, like I said, just entered Newport then. Yeah, that's a fantastic story. Yeah, I was always interested in having a good bit of a chat with you about it because I knew you were there or thereabouts on the performance beforehand, um, and you know that's that's a serious result. But even at your level, you know, it's can you push on a little bit further? And, and and break that barrier. So um God, that's absolutely fantastic. Was was it was it touch and go at one point in that in, in, in the Newport one or, or were you thinking, right, I've actually just got to hold on here and I can do it and elation coming over the line? Like where where were your thoughts yeah, in the last well, kind of it was um sort of really reserved in the first half marathon in the first half just sort of decided to take it really steady. Um and it's a it's really, really flat course. So it's all you didn't really have to sort of think about any any hills it needs to sort of make sure you're saving for so you can even split it quite well um so I just took it out nice and steady in that first half and then it was like about mile mile 15 i thought started to think yeah you can do this you sort of especially then getting into sort of 16 17 18 sort of single figure miles to go sort of started getting really really confident i was going to be able to do it but didn't want to sort of get carried away with myself because you can blow up just like that so wasn't good, and then I remember, I remember this was really well. I was coming down about mile twenty-two, and um, saw a bloke said to like uh, guy on the sidelines, sort of cheering, and said, "Go on, you're looking really strong, and um, looking really good, really composed." And he whispered, he said to the guy next to him, he "said Yeah, and he looks like he's run a couple of miles." So I thought that to um, if I it was, like, it was a massive confidence going into those last four miles because I sort of if I looked like I was fairly strong, uh, yeah. I felt it as well. So. So just really able to push on. Excellent. And yeah, ran the perfect race with negative split by about thirty seconds. 
So, um, yeah, it just sort of executes it perfectly, really. Wow, wow, wow. It just shows that, you know, in that process, it's probably important for that first experience. You know, obviously, you don't want to experience the the GI issues and you know you'd have loved to nail it first time but it's very common for people to rock up to these events and when they are shoulder to shoulder with people in the start line it's a a big deal isn't it like I've never done a road marathon but it looks it does look intense you know crowd everywhere lots of people and you've like you said you've just trained out on your own running really well um but then you have to experience that throng of people the buzz and then you know you you kind of patched yourself up and, and went for that that one six weeks later, you know, took the appropriate recovery and you probably used, used that first race as well. That's going to obviously do wonders for your fitness. So you probably you don't, have to do too you much. Don't know how you, you need to learn. The marathon is such a unique event. You need to you need to learn how you need to feel at mile 20. It's all, all the miles really. You just really need to sort of get a, get a gauge on it because it's, you've sort of tapered take for two weeks going into it. It's so easy to get to sort of, the halfway point and think oh god i feel so good i can i can smash this last half yeah. but it, it all of a sudden it'll just accumulate at mile sort of mile 20 like i say the last last six miles is the hardest so mm. it's um definitely you need to get that learning experience in which to hindsight it probably worked out really well that sort of brighton didn't go quite to plan and i was able to able to um work towards newport and have, have brighton as a learning experience yeah, that's absolutely brilliant and you know if people listening to this if anyone's interested in reaching out to you or you know talking to you about marathon prep or things like that do you, do you see yourself potentially working with runners in the future or or do you think you'll you know you'll keep it as your sport and you'll you'll want to continue to do what you do and and you know maybe maybe work in in a different kind of sector of athletes like what are you thinking about that oh i've, I've weighed this up in my mind so much so i've constantly changed what i want to do because one, one time I think to myself, no, I want to keep running as sort of a, a sideline to work and sort of academics is all really keep sort of a barrier. But then sort of thing, but I love it so much. I can talk about it so much. Mm. I know a lot about it. Would it benefit me to do it? And I've actually, one of the things I thought about doing as well, was, I was contemplating doing um, some like running, running coaching qualifications to mm. sort of combine that with nutritional sort of support as well. But is that I, I could potentially see myself doing it in the future, but like I said, I just need to weigh up whether it's going to be worth it to sort of merge those sort of work-life boundaries or whether just sort of keep them totally separate. Yeah, exactly. Like it's another tool to the toolbox, and like you said, it'd be important to do that running coaching side of things, and and it will really help when obviously you're speaking to people about fueling recovery, and yeah. you can maybe combine that into a you know a, a series of. Uh, consultations or a course or something um, and, and especially the way things are going with technique and things there's so much opportunity there for just regular people to get better but then like you said it is a nice thing to have um, sometimes separate so I think you're in a good position you know for that side of things moving forward and you, you just have to see how you feel and if, if it works out for you to be able to do that course then you know it's something to consider definitely, I suppose, yeah, isn't all, it? definitely have it in there and sort of like in the back of the mind and then if the opportunity arises or the need to do it arises, then you can always step into it. Yeah, yeah, mate, 100%. So, you know, this it's an interesting situation, and that's obviously why I wanted to get you on, because obviously you've you blasted through your studies, passionate, you know, you've worked as hard as, as, as you could in those, you've done your placements, you've built some experience with athletes, you know, you're, you, you've experienced running serious races as well. So you've got the practical side, you've got the um, academic side, you know, growing your nutrition toolbox. And it is an interesting situation how 
competitive the industry is and I think if people are looking from the outside in they don't know too much about sports nutrition and performance nutrition listening to this I think it's good to have these open conversations because it is hard there's a lot of graduates coming out and you know not huge amounts of opportunities in sports teams um, and and the research side of things is competitive too not not everyone's going to be you know offering placements to that so yeah it's interesting to hear about how things are going for you so far yeah no it's like say you can be it's so easy to be naive and just think even like when when i was a first first year in my undergrad i thought when i first had the idea of maybe doing a phd i just thought oh yeah you just apply like you do to a university course and you just get automatically get it if you've got the grades it's just not the case you need to everyone's everyone wants to do it everyone is just such a competitive industry whatever avenue you want to go down you've really sort of got to think and it's not just employers and university they're just not looking for simply the the grades which i think is so easy to sort of get into like a bubble about you need to sort of think about how you're well making a sort of well-rounded individual you best like gaining those experiences gaining either if that's in research or practical application mm. just always think about how you're going to develop that side of your cv is just just more important than specifically just thinking about a grade yeah, and if you can, like you said, you you know you get down to a local rugby club, you kept in touch with some scholarship athletes and things, and you know that might not pay short term, but like you said, you're putting some processes into place, not being afraid to you know work part time or or even full time, you know outside the industry that yeah. that you don't necessarily want to be the you know for for the rest of your life career wise, but you know needs must and and these things exactly, have yeah. to happen. Like, I remember I, I did a couple of seasons for for Worcester Warriors. I managed to get that intern role through the UK Sport website ten years ago, and and I bet now you must go on to those places and it would be inundated. And God, I was I was li- I was living on my boss's uh, sofa for the first pre season. Um, and he was taking me in and out. And then I, I got a part-time role at a school because one of the players had a deputy head. Uh, he was the dad. So I managed to cover my costs and do some coaching there. But without that, there's no way I would have maintained that role that looked yeah. good on the CV, that gave me the leg up. So some of it was so lucky, you know, so yeah, lucky. Half, half of it is just like one of the things that I've learned through this experience. It's just either, either knowing the right people or just everything, everything just going your way and falling into place, really. So... So I'm just sort of fingers, keeping my fingers crossed that that happens happens to me in the next few months. But it, it what will be will be, and uh, I'll end, like Mum always says that you end up where you're supposed to be. So that I'm just sort of uh, thinking about that and concentrating on sort of day by day, week by week, what's gonna what's gonna get me there really. So mate, it's exciting. I know you'd obviously like to be a bit further down the line, but for me, looking oh, exactly, yeah. where you are at 23, it's you know it's exciting. Like I'm, you know, still obviously we'll be, we'll be grafting the rest of our lives. But at 31, I think, wow, if I went back, you know, what would I do differently? And you you've got such an exciting time ahead in your 20s, building as a practitioner and a researcher, um, or if you go down one of the other lines. So I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on to to show that you know there are some challenges and things along the way, but you're passionate. You've got the practical side and the research side building your CV um, and it's important to have these open and honest conversations because our industry can can look very flashy you see some of the people working for professional sports clubs and they have to work hard and often the pay isn't great but we love doing what we do and you know building ourselves building our nutrition toolboxes so mate it's been an absolute pleasure I don't know if there's anything else that you want to let the listeners know about before we wrap up and or maybe you know let them know how they can keep in touch with you i can put a few things in the show notes 
yeah, if um, sort of Instagram is sort of the best way to see what I'm doing, see what I'm up to. Um, also quite responsive to messages on there. Um, main Instagram is Adam underscore Sutton 98. Um, and yeah, like I said, I'm sort of look at that most days. So yeah, probably the best way to see what I'm up to. Perfect, mate. And maybe if, you know, if there's any other young practitioners listening or people listening, I, I know you mentioned a few podcasts that you like, but are there any other resources and things that are your go-to or is there anything you're reading at the moment that you're you're finding quite insightful that you want to mention? Uh, I would just say, I think if you're looking at sort of like going to the sports side, know, know the sports and so look at sort of um, podcasts or resources like that that are from the sport itself. So I listen purely for my running enjoyment and stuff. I listen to a lot of podcasts from sort of elite runners looking at that side of it because if you know a sport inside out, that's going to help your ability as a um, as a practitioner. So I'd say looking at that side, so learning as much as you can about a sport is going to be really, really important. That's perfect. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think when I was working a lot more in supporting adventure and endurance athletes, I was listening to outdoor you know, endurance podcasts and trail running podcasts and so many of those things and listening to all of the experiences people are going through doing some of these nuts challenges uh, mate that's brilliant cool so mate thanks so much for your time obviously you know we'll keep in touch and things after the show but look lovely people adam's so responsive that's how we met basically through instagram you know chatting a bit and it's it's been fantastic to have him on the show so do reach out if any of the things he's spoken about have resonated with you or you know if there's any opportunities and things like that you think you can collaborate with him obviously he's very open i'll leave the instagram in the show notes and as always if you like the show please share it with someone and um, we'll speak soon take care thanks Matt.